Amen. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to jump into it. I'm going to take the next two weeks to talk to you about healing. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background to this. And it's, I've been praying about exactly how to talk about healing. And I think I can say that I'm going to encapsulate it in a very simple statement. I'm just going to talk to you about God. That's all it is. And I, I did want to give you a little bit of history. And part of what prompted this, and Guy made actually reference to this, is that he had sent, I preached a sermon on healing. This is almost 12 years ago now. And he sent it to the rest of the elders. So I got to listen to myself. And I was quite convicted by myself. <laughs> it's funny. I'm just being honest about it, you know. I don't generally like to listen to myself preach. Sometimes that's pretty painful. And, well, it's always actually pretty painful. But I listened to what I spoke about healing 12 years ago, and it just brought conviction to myself, and I just felt to pick it up again. And to give you a little bit of context for what was happening around that time, this is about 12 years ago, Ken Grenfell here was, Clayton's father, was leading the church. And we were pushing into healing as a church. It's not that we didn't believe in healing, please understand. And if I were to say, and I was trying to think back of the context of the time, and I would say part of the reason why we were pushing into healing, and we're just friends at some level, talking about it, believing for it. And I think the word that could best encapsulate what we were thinking at the time was just more just more, that to believe God, to believe in God, to believe in the things of God, there was something that was rising up in ourselves at the time as we looked at not just the needs of people, but just of our belief in him and this word more. And the word more is actually quite, I've, I've thought or looked into things of leadership and one of the things that you can actually say that pushes people in the areas of growth is that word. It's more. It's the simplest thing to settle into a status quo. It's the simplest thing to have in and of yourself a level of comfort that you've achieved what you felt to achieve and that the cry of more does not resonate. And for us as a church, I think our heart, I can say, it was and still is this desire for more, more of God, more of what he has for us. He pursues us more than we pursue him, as strange as that may sound to you and as challenging to your theology as it might be. So I'm just going to talk about God. You know, when God initially revealed himself, Moses was saying to God, who, who should I say of you as I go to the Israelites to reveal to them this great salvation plan? And in Exodus 3.14 says, I am who I am. And there is a level of permanence, constancy, immutability of God that conceptually we might think of. In Joshua 1 verse 5 says this, as I was with Moses, 
so I will be with you. And when we think about God, it's very easy for us to think of God who was and the God who will be, and yet there's a God that is, and that is I am who I am. Generations change. Knowledge increases or diminishes, but God in all of himself, who he is, in true to himself, will always just be. He is the I am. So we're going to talk about healing, and we're going to look at what the scripture says, because this is more permanent than anything that you can see, touch, or feel. And it's in Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 was written about 700 years before Christ appeared. It was a prophetic word of Christ, of the atonement that was to come. And it's important to actually understand what atonement means, because I think at some level we can think of it, and this is what it is. And I, I just wrote it as this one way to look at it. It's the holiness of God against the sinfulness of man produced a righteous reaction of divine wrath. It is this wrath that needed appeasement before a holy God, before sinful man could ever be reconciled. This appeasement is the atonement. There are many meanings that you can say the atonement represents. And these are some of them. It's to cover, to purge, to reconcile, to answer, to make satisfaction for, to appease. I just went over that. To make amends or reparation. Here's one that was quite cute, I thought. If you think of the literal word atonement and you break it up, it's at one meant. And that what that means is to make at one those who have disagreement. And I think that's a pretty easy way for us to understand that. And atonement was always been the plan. Before the foundation of the world, it says in 1 Peter 1, 19, before the foundation of the world, God's plan for creation was in satisfaction via the atonement. It's God. So we're going to read Isaiah 53. We're not going to read all of it, but I'm going to start. I didn't have this up, but I'm going to read from verse 1. And we're going to get to verses 4 and 5, which I want to spend a little bit of time on. But let's just read this. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He is no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And now picking up in verse 4, which they'll have. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. The, in my Bible, 
as I said, speaking of the atonement, actually starting in Isaiah 52, it has a title for this section, and it calls it the sin-bearing servant. And to be sure, that's what it is. But included amongst this passage, as we were going to get into some details, there is certainly the sin-bearing nature of the atonement. But just as much, and here is what I'm here to talk to you about, is the sickness-bearing notion of the atonement. So to do so, we're just going to take a look for a bit of time about what it says about sickness. We, you've heard it, I'm sure, at the end of verse 5, by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. But we're going to back up in, in verse 4. And it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And if you break that down, the two words, the griefs, is actually translated sickness and disease. The word sorrows is, talks about pain, physical or mental. So it's those two words that certainly are ascribing to the measure of atonement in the area of physical ailment, sickness, disease, pain. And it's chosen to describe the nature of the atonement in the suffering servant, of what his participation is, what he did with respect to sickness and pain. And there's two particular words that are described, and the first is in the context of griefs or sickness. It says he bore our griefs. And that word bore is NASA. It's very important that we actually take a look at some of this. We don't do it all the time to actually look into the underlying language and definition of it because there's great implications to actually look at a piece of text and understand exactly what the meaning is. And the word NASA is to lift, to bear up, carry, to take. And to understand the context of what they mean by the notion of bearing up griefs that same word NASA is used in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 22, and it talks about what we refer to often as a scapegoat. And it says, the goat shall bear, and that word bear is NASA. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited place, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Now, just very quickly, the scapegoat was one of the two goats. There was two goats. The first was actually to be killed as a sacrifice. The blood was actually used to go into the most holy place and sprinkle upon the mercy seat. And then there was a second goat called the scapegoat of which the high priest would lay his hands and effectively transfer symbolically the sins and iniquities of the entire people upon this goat and this goat would then be led out into the wilderness representing the bearing away of the sin and iniquity of the people. So the first goat represents, if you will, the sacrifice of sin. It was actually played out. You couldn't, the, the Israelites could not go into the most holy place. They could not see the actual application of blood onto the mercy seat represent now satisfaction. And it was the sacrifice of sin. And the second goat represents the effect of that sacrifice. So between the two, it was the symbol, symbolizing the perfect removal of sin from the people. And when Jesus came upon the scene, 
And John the baptizer saw the dove remain upon him. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was a fulfillment of everything of the sacrificial system to actually bear from us, the people, the sin completely removed. So that's a picture of the word, what it means when we say NASA, to bear. In Isaiah 53, verse 12, it speaks specifically about that action with respect to sin because it says, for he bore the sin of many. Again, the word NASA. With respect to our sorrows or pain, it says he carried our sorrows. That word is sabal. And it means to bear, to carry a heavy burden. And there's a substitutionary aspect to that bearing of that load so that others would not have to bear it. And inasmuch as he bore, as prophesied, our pain, in the same way in Isaiah 53, 11, it says, for he shall bear, that word sabal, our iniquities. And we've gone through the text to look at the usage of these very particular terms. And it's easy for us to appreciate that with respect to sin, the bearing away of our sin in as much as the symbolic two goats sacrifice and now a removal. That's easy for us to apprehend because if you're a believer, you have. You had, you, if you raise your hand and says, I am, the Spirit of God lives in me, absolutely, you have, by faith, appropriated that with respect to the sin-bearing nature of Jesus. And the physical aspect of that is somewhat harder, and that may be, you may have heard different teachings about healing. I said, but I'm just talking about God. And you see, we may have disputes. We can actually agree, disagree about what the text actually means. But I actually prefer, where possible, at the risk of my own humanness, always desire for right interpretation. And we rely on the Holy Spirit for that. So it's helpful. It gives me great comfort. When I see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, and we'll, it should come up, here. And the context of this is healing. And he says, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. The Holy Spirit, upon the time of Jesus' walking of the earth, interprets that particular section of Isaiah 53, verses 4, and specifically says that this is a fulfillment. The physical healing that you now see is a fulfillment of what was spoken and prophesied for in Isaiah 53, 4. As for me, that gives me great comfort that the reading of the text 
relating not, to sin, not just the sin-bearing nature of the suffering servant, but also to the sickness-bearing nature is not too far afield. This is the Holy Spirit's interpretation. Physical healing encompassed within the prophecy of Isaiah 53. Now, this, I don't know your theology. And it's easy for me to talk about theology. We can all talk about theology because that's just thoughts of God. That's all it is. The sickness-bearing and sin-bearing nature of the atonement has certain implications. You see, I, I spent some time going through the words of bearing up and caring of Nasa and Sabal, and they do, do denote a heavy burden, an actual substitution, and a complete removal of thing born. That, that's what those words mean. And the challenge for us as students, as believers, as, thing, as people just desiring the more of God, what is forced upon us, forced upon me, forced upon you, is that whatever the sense of those two verbs, whatever the sense, the same sense must be applied to sickness-bearing as it is applied to sin-bearing. The same sense. We don't get to pick and choose what our box decides should be included. We don't. You can, I wouldn't advise it. So then I could say necessarily, and by direct implication, Jesus then took on himself the pain, sickness, and disease that we had to bear and deserved to bear and bore them away by his own person to therefore discharge us from them. That's just reading the Bible. With that understanding, various texts of the Bible actually start, oh, I can see this now. So in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, very commonly quoted, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Sin-bearing and sickness-bearing. All included. And let's just pause, if you would, and think. If sickness-bearing, as we just read, is just as true and in the same way by interpretation included in the atonement as sin-bearing, which we all believe, subscribe to, have based your entire faith upon, then sickness and disease and by implication how that is dealt with with respect to healing is now your birthright. Hmm. I can tell you that that's a startling thought. It is something that it takes my mind renewal of 
to begin to even have a process of apprehending because depending upon your experience in the church and your experience even particularly with healing, sickness, disease, that's not the first thought that comes to you. That by birthright, healing is mine. You can find books on healing written about how to, what to's, but let's just talk about God. You see, it is my experience as we've gone on a journey, and it is just that. It is a journey that is premised on the idea of more. More of you, O oh Lord. You see, one of the biggest stumbling blocks, and I appreciate it because I've had to actually deal with this myself, is that, is it God's will to heal? And that's why it being a birthright changes the equation. But in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, which was the context for Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, which interprets Isaiah 53, 4. It says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm going to change your theology first. I am willing. That as a precursor to Jesus doing anything with respect to this leper, he had to actually change his view of what God's will in the matter of was. Leper says, if you're willing, I've literally prayed that. And Jesus first, before he does anything, corrects his theology, says, I am willing. And that, quite frankly, is the threshold question of whether we can move forward in faith, is it not? I don't know what goes through your mind when you've ever laid your hands on somebody and prayed healing. I can tell you what's gone through my head, and all of that has gone through my head. You see, it is a measure of faith. And I told you we we're going to talk about God, but let me just talk to you about one thing that is a very common objection based upon everything that I just said, which is just us reading the Bible as best as we can. People say, okay, that's just too much. Sin-bearing, get that, because, you know, they're believers. Sickness-bearing, I, I just can't get there. In fact, I would say, well, but if that's true, why isn't everybody well? That's actually a common objection. So I'm going to just talk about this objection and talk about God. The greatest healing that has ever happened to man is salvation. Bar none. And we live in a day and an age where the ability for us to apprehend the greatest miracle and healing that has ever been given to us, we apprehend that with ease. And I just would like to, just because we can, Talk about this in a way 
to not so trivialize it of what is so magnificent. You see, think about this. When we talk about salvation, we say, and, and I, I mean no dis- disrespect, but just to illustrate the notion of how we can become too comfortable with this idea, is that at some level, people are told that if you say these words, I mean, I'll explain you know, who God is, his plan, but if you say these words, the spirit of the almighty God will now descend and take up resonance in you, and all you have to do is say these words and believe it. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Your theology might be so clear and adopted by faith that you're like, yeah, yeah. I had a privilege not too long ago to to be there when somebody received the spirit of God and for them to exclaim, he's here. In their spirit. He's here. And part of the reason why our familiarity, our comfort, is because the, the amount of teaching, the amount of revelation, the amount of study, the amount of belief with respect to salvation has brought us to that point where it is apprehended with ease. Nobody thinks like, are you sure? You're you, you really sure? I say the words and the spirit of the almighty God descends and takes up residence in me. There were times, and if you can imagine coming out of the dark ages, where I don't think the apprehension of that greatest miracle was as easy as we now sit. I was, as I said, as I was convicted by my own sermon almost 12 years ago, I just started to pick it back up again and ask myself, God, we need more. One of the books I came across was this book called The Ministry of Healing, written by A.J. Gordon. It was published in 1882. Appropriate enough, coming following of Guy's preach last night about coming from cessation to a believer in the gifts, the purpose of this book in terms of the miracles and the ministry of healing was about miracles. And there was a survey done in a magazine at that time. And the question was put out to all of those in the religious community. Have there been any miracles since the days of the apostles? To this question, the common answer has been, in our times at least, a decided no. So they were against the grain, but believing, of course, in the miracles. So the, per- the whole intention of this book was to look past in history And he did identify through the course of the entire history the working of miracles in every period of time when the apostolic fathers had clearly passed on. And he said a couple things, and I I just wrote these because we're going to land this thing shortly. But it represented to me a thought, thoughts about God. 
And the first one is, and I think they'll have it up there, the strongest requirement now pressing on the church is for an adaptation of Christianity to the age. How presumptuous it will look for one to set his face in the opposite direction and insist that the greatest present demand is for the adaptation of the age to Christianity. And not that exactly for, quote, this present evil age can never be made to harmonize with a religion that is entirely heavenly in its origin, in its course, and in its consummation. 1882. He should have written that today. Somebody should have written that today. This one grabbed me. I, just, I said, appreciate. This is 1882. Next one. In the atonement of Christ, there seems to be a foundation laid for faith in bodily healing. Seems, we say, for the passage to which we refer is so profound and unsearchable in its meaning that one would be very careful not to speak dogmatically in regard to it. But it is at least a deep and suggestive truth that we have Christ set before us as a sickness bearer as well as the sin bearer of his people. I didn't say I put it down for 12 years, but my belief and internal desire for more waned. And part of the thing that grabbed my attention so, and did bring me some measure of grief, how much more? How much more was available? And to even read from some great men of God truths being expressed in the exact same way we're trying to apprehend 138 years ago is somewhat astounding to me that he is the bearer of our sickness and the bearer of our sin as a plan before the foundation of the world and we are to receive it as our birthright as sons and daughters of God. I was reading this other book, as I already mentioned, and it is by A.W. Tozer, entitled God's Pursuit of Man, which was actually written as a prelude to man's pursuit of God. And he says this, we habitually stand in our now and look back by faith to see the past filled with God, we look forward and see him inhabiting our future, but our now is uninhabited except for ourselves. Thus, we are guilty of a kind of temporary atheism which leaves us alone in the universe while for the time God is not. We talk of him much and loudly, but we secretly think of him as being absent and we think of ourselves as inhabiting a parenthetic interval between the God who was and the God who will be. He said, I am who I am. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever, but more importantly, today. Today. That is that parenthetical that A.W. Tozer was talking about. It is so easy for us to get comfortable in looking back at the great things that we've heard, look into the word, 
and also the future and believe in what is the ultimate redemption and have such profound belief and faith and yet in the today, he is not. And I say to you, desire more. Desire more. It is he and he alone. He did it. It was a plan set in motion before the creation of the world, and Jesus, by his obedience, fulfilled it completely. And he, we have now been given to us as simple sons and daughters of the Most High as a birthright, healing, and forgiveness of sin. And that is the today. So I leave with you just a question that I trust will resonate in you in as much as I want it to resonate in me. Is when I think of my life and my belief and my very expectations, have I approached a perspective in a position of satisfaction or is there something that compels me, compels me to say more, more of you? That's the question I'm asking myself. And as God, who is the one that is so unattainable upon which there is always higher and beyond, the answer from his perspective in his pursuit of man is, there always is. As unsearchable as I am is the depth upon which more is always available to us. So, if you would, we just close your eyes. We're just going to give utterance to that very thought. Lord, I just thank you. Just for this entire time that we've had with you together from the very first welcome to our prayer of expectation to the time of worship and just sitting and being willing to be changed by your presence. I ask in the name of Jesus that we would be open to all that you have for us in the more that you've always held out and so desiring and lovingly would have for us. I thank you, O oh Lord. Amen. Amen. Clayton. Well, <laughs> you know, this subject, uh, I've got to make an announcement, so, but you know, I have to say something, if you know me. Firstly, Dwayne, that was outstanding. Who can tell just the reality? Yeah.
I know he doesn't want that, almost rightly so. <laughs> but, you know, this subject, you say the word healing, and, you know, it has very many different reactions and very many different people. Specifically those who have been part of some move or some stream or something in the past. And me personally, I saw many people healed uh, um, when I was a boy growing up in just the atmosphere of the Lord and just God moving and I saw many people healed. So I just always knew it was possible. But then when this started to come to my heart all those years ago and we just pursued the Lord and you know, the first thing you fight is your own pursuit, thinking that your pursuit will make him kind of change. It's like, you know, like you're stronger, like you can wrestle him down. And, you know, and it, you realize that doesn't work. And there's a lot of death to self in the process. And I realize it's far easier to just not believe it. It's just much easier. I'm just being real. Hello? Yeah, much easier. And, you know, but in John, what's, one of the, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he... Gave is only that whoever should believe should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the healing of the salvation of sin. Well, what does it say just before that? John three fourteen. <laughs> and Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why did Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness? Physical healing. Healing. Sin. Sickness, sin. What did Jesus go to before he went to the cross? Whipping post. I realize that is weird. So, whipping post, right? By his stripes. First the whipping post, then the cross. First the John 3.14, then John 3.16. It's all through Scripture, and once... This has come into my life. I went on a journey, which I'm not going to preach. Don't worry. And it was not pleasant. T.J. McCrossan is an incredible theologian around in the late, I think, 1800s, early 1900s. And he said he was actually the Greek-Hebrew professor, scholar. Many of the, even the evangelical uh, colleges, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Seminaries, a lot of the Hebrew-Greek uh, work Hebrew Greek classes, a lot of it, some of it is based on his work. And he wrote a small book called Healing in the Physical Bodily Healing in the Atonement. And he said this any scholar, obviously of Scripture, who believes that physical bodily healing is not in the atonement is one of two things. They are either not a scholar or a liar. And all the, a lot of the Hebrew Greek that we have today in seminary is based on that guy's work. They just don't know it. So the reason I say this is I went on a journey and you, you encounter a lot of disappointment and a lot of hurt in people that have been treated as if their condition is their fault. And let me say outright, it's not. Don't ever let anybody put that on you ever. Ever. And we encountered a lot of situations where just it's just it was a difficult journey and it took me to a place where I, I had about a six month period where I would say 70% of the people I prayed for were healed it was an amazing time 
and then like nothing after that. And I got so hurt that I actually said to the Lord, I'm done with healing. I'm not doing that anymore. And uh, I just got tired of praying for people that were sick and dying and nothing changed. And, you know, then I recognized again, well, (laughs) he is the Lord, not me. Not me. And there's something of an obedience in my heart that began to take place where I will do what you tell me to do. But I also, I don't carry, in a sense, that person with me forever. You know, it's not, I'm not in charge of that, but I can obey. And there was a, it was a, just a painful journey for me. And so now I pray for anything that moves, if you know me, because God can do anything. And I prayed for a young lady once, and, um, and then I'll make an announcement and we'll be done. And she had a skin disease on her arm. It's just an exa- example. And it was creeping up into her face and her neck. And, and the doctors had no idea what it was, didn't know what to do. And so she came, and so I prayed for her. And she stood there like this. And I asked her, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm trying to have faith. And you know, we encounter that a lot. Because people think faith is just this great ability to believe. Where faith is also, or actually, the conviction about things unseen. Spiritual understanding about the unseen realm through which I make decisions. So I said, oh goodness, don't do that. So she said, well, so we prayed for her, and God ministered to her about some boys or whatever. I can't remember. So I left. She was crying. Some ladies were ministering. Then I came back, and I said, can I pray for you now? She said, sure. So, she, so I said, what, what are you doing? So I'm trying to have faith. So I said, you know, your flesh can't do that. So she said, well, what do I do? I said, just relax. Just pretend you're at the movies. I don't know why I said that. Must have had something to do with her life, but she said, "Just, just that." So I said, "Yeah, just relax." She said, "Oh, okay." And she just, okay, and she just kind of stood there. And then I said this to her, and I said, "If you, if something doesn't happen, you don't get healed. It doesn't mean God doesn't want to heal you, and it doesn't mean it's your fault." <laughs> she said, "Well, how am I supposed to understand that?" I said, "I don't know." Just being honest, I don't know. Somebody once said, when leaders or people are pressed to come up with answers to something that God's not answering, that's where the birthplace of horrible doctrine. So I just said, I, I don't know. So, but I know this. If there was any person who was responsible in this equation, it's me, not you. It's something that I haven't seen of God, not you. So I'm praying for you. Now, I can't walk around with that responsibility on my shoulders for every sick person. But the reality is, that's what I said to her, and to some degree that was true in my own heart. I know he's willing. This person's sick. I'm here now. So I just said, that's on me, not on you. And she's like, oh, okay. She didn't really think too much about me, I guess. So and I prayed for her, and we watched this thing come off of her arm. Just came off, just fell off. Never seen anything like it. And you know, there's been many times where that hasn't been the case. But in the Word of God, it's clear, absolutely clear, 
And the, the thing that I hate, can I say, is when people are told, well, it's your fault and you don't. I hate that. I just don't like that. God is good. He is good. And he has provided everything we need. So I'm looking for, I don't want to preach his sermon next week, so I need to stop. But this has been a journey, and we've seen smatterings of it. We saw a lady healed of spina bifida. We all, the whole church, if those of you who were there remember, something grew in her back. You know, we've seen amazing things, but healing of a cold or of a miracle that's instant, sometimes healing as a process can be days. A miracle is just something that's instant. We've seen it all, but we know there's more, and we're trusting for God to break out, but never to make people feel like they are the issue. People must feel loved no matter what. Hello? All right.